Hey, this is Ryan Spain with Roleplay and Bubble Radio. This is RPPR episode 199, Architectural Horror and the Night Clerk Zine. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about architectural horror. What is architectural horror? Well, that's what the episode's about, trying to define what it is, and uh, especially in the context of role-playing games. And uh, I bring this up for blatant self-interest because I have launched a crowdfunding campaign, not a Kickstarter, but a backer kit. Uh, is now available to content creators, so I thought I would uh, try it out. Uh, so I have, over the last three years, written a uh, system agnostic slash systemless uh, RPG scenario called The Night Clerk, which is based on my uh, actual play one-shot episode, uh, The Night Clerk, uh, and uh, it is a scenario of architectural horror uh, where you're trapped in this infinite maze that looks like a hotel, uh, but it's not a hotel, and you need to escape. And in order to escape, you have to explore, and that's what the scenario is about. So there'll be links uh, in the uh, camp or in the this episode show notes to the backer kit page, where you can back it at the PDF level or the print level. Uh, be full color, forty-four page zine. Uh, lots of cool new you know, new monsters, random tables, uh, a lot of cool art. Uh, so yeah, I this is sort of what Ruin has become. Uh, I have not given up on Ruin, but Ruin is sort of waiting now until I can find a rule system that works for it. I, I have hit a brick wall coming up with the rule system. So I just let me just write the story part first. Uh, and that is the night clerk. Uh, so it will be a, a lot of fun. I'll be running this campaign for a month. Uh, so back at now, there's also a deluxe level where you get some bonus podcast episodes. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, with me, I have another expert in architectural horror, uh, Rob Stith from the Orpheus Protocol. Uh, well, hello doing, there. Now, real Real quick, Ross, <laughs> you said that this night clerk uh, fellow is being crowdfunded. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might be interested to know that I just talked to the crowd, mm-hmm. and uh, the crowd's going wild, Ross. Hey, they're they're happy about this night clerk <laughs> stuff. Like, uh, there's there's a real buzz surrounding it. Uh, yes, this is Rob from the Orpheus Protocol. Hello, uh, my major plug is well, the Orpheus Protocol, which is a role playing game uh, that is just about to be available to actually buy, uh, in, at least in PDF, on Itch and DriveThruRPG, if DriveThruRPG will ever get their shit together and email me back about approving <laughs> the project. I'm actually going to have to bother them again. But uh, yeah, the PDF is going to be available uh, very, very soon, perhaps by the time this episode comes out, God willing. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking into print-on-demand for people who missed out on the Kickstarter who still want a physical book. Uh, and should you like to hear some actual play of the Orpheus Protocol? Well, I've got, uh, frankly, too many episodes of it. The Orpheus Protocol on any podcatcher uh, app of your choice. Uh, all the way from beta to release rules. Uh, the the full testing experience of the development of the game was done through a continuous uh, epic campaign of cosmic horror and espionage. Nice. Uh, yeah, we'll have links whenever they're available for buying the uh, game. And uh, yeah, it'll yes, be pretty please, cool. please buy it. I just found out how much it's going to cost to move. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, moving is always fun. And I mean that for certain the... values of fun. There yeah. we go. Yeah, there. that's how. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of fun, horror, uh, I, I love it. It's a, it's a great genre. It's a very fun genre. 
Um, and particularly, uh, I'm, I'm sort of a weirdo of being a horror fan, but not being a big, uh, slasher fan or, or, uh, like, you know, Friday the 13th, you know, those, those kind of movies of a maniac with an ax chopping teenagers up. It's like, okay, it's fine, but that's not really what interests me. So, uh, what interests me are really weird horror movies. And one of the weirder subgenres of horror is architectural horror. And imagine why you asked me to be here. <laughs> yeah. The Orphan's Protocol, uh, especially, you know, that, that crossover or that episode, I guess it on where it was a, you know, abandoned mall. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. an abandoned mall that yeah. Ross was in. That's uh, I don't know that that was actually on purpose as the funny part, but <laughs> it worked pretty well. So, um, I, and architectural horror is one of these terms uh, of, of that has come up in the last couple, like five or 10 years, uh, that doesn't really have like a definitive label like slasher does, or, um, you know, possession movies or, or, or that kind of thing. And, uh, so kind of like folk horror and folk horror has become like a, a thing. And there's like a really good three hour documentary about it, uh, that talks about the, the various types, but like, Architectural horror is still like, and a lot of people overlap it with liminal horror. And so we're going to talk about all of these. Um, but I think. Uh, I believe you're yeah. talking about Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. Yes. Right? Yeah, uh, it's, it's on it's Shudder. Like, it's like three watch hours. watch it on yeah. Shudder. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was originally released as part of a Severin Films box set of folk horror movies, which is like. 10 discs and like 15 movies or something dumb like that. Plus the documentary. Hell yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a great box set. It's like a hundred bucks, but like, yeah, uh, if you're really into the, like old British seven, you know, seventies horror films and shit like that, you know, this movie yeah, was made in Iceland it's, in 1980. It's pretty but. good. Like the, uh, I know we're here for architectural horror, but my, my quick piece on folk horror is that I think it's really interesting the way that sort of the, not maybe completely required, but mega central theme in horror of the return of the repressed functions so differently in cultures that have a longer history than the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the return of the repressed here is often uh, the native genocide or chattel mm-hmm. slavery or some or the civil war or something like that. Uh, but you take that over to Britain and it's like, you can go back further than mere colonialism, like the environment itself, like people were living there when the wilderness just routinely killed people. Mm-hmm. And so you can you can have a much more uh, ancient feeling repressed that's returning to overturn and fuck everything up. Sure. Uh, it's very interesting to me. So, yeah, like they, they make a point of this in that in that documentary, like British and European folk horror is, is really a fear of the return to the pagan, right? To, to remove our Christian, you know, uh, Christianity and go back, you know, the Wicker Man, obviously, mm-hmm. or more recently, Midsummer. Uh, but in America, folk horror is about the fear of the failed colony. That's the most American fe- fear is that our town, our colony, our little settlement is going to fail and collapse. Uh, so things like Children of the Corn, because that's a that's a failed town, right? Like the, the sure. children have taken over and murdered everybody. And they're, they're uh, the hills evil. have eyes. Uh, the hills have you eyes. Have, you uh, have the uh, sort of the degradation mm-hmm. of a small town based on. Uh, both capitalism and nuclear testing. Texas mm-hmm. Chainsaw Massacre is another one that's like the, the witch, pe- the people yeah. left behind mm-hmm. uh, by capitalism. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the witch is, uh, yeah, I guess Puritanism leading to like people being ostracized from society uh, and then 
they go crazy and yeah uh, well also nature slash satan like i mean the yeah. puritans were were convinced the for the wilderness was the work of the devil because you know they were working you know they it, it was back when you know right, they, they got killed trees by, fucking sucks and not yeah. all the soil is good for growing uh, and also we get killed some you know one out of a hundred times when someone goes out in the wilderness they don't come back you know yeah uh, <laughs> so um yeah anyways so that that Architectural horror is one of these kind of terms. There's a book out um, called Horror in Architecture that talks a little bit about this. And certainly with liminal horror, which has become incredibly popular because of the back rooms, it's just become sort of an invoked term, but like people don't know what it means. So like sure. the big, the biggest uh, example are obviously uh, books like uh, House of Leaves, movies like The Shining um, and games like uh, video games like Control. Uh, and those are sort of like some of the biggest, most obvious examples, but like, what is it? What is it? So my working definition, this is a work in progress, right? Like, I think eventually I'm going to write like an essay or, or something. Yeah, uh, um, it's horror about like, you have to think about like the little definition, like architecture is an art and a science of transforming or manipulating an environment, uh, for a purpose. Uh, and this purpose uh, is, you know, you functional, but also like, uh, uh, stylistic or ritualistic. Um, so, you know, literally architecture began when we started building huts, like we needed shelter from the elements. Uh, and since then we have, uh, we use architecture to manipulate the environment, to manipulate or to, to affect us emotionally. You know, the most obvious examples like a cathedral, right? Like you have big ceilings, so you feel very small and insignificant and you look up to gaze at the wonder on the ceiling, to look up towards the heavens, to make you think about God. Uh, God is looking down on you and uh, like very, very blatant, but like every building and and these aren't just buildings it's also outdoor environments too like you know uh, a, a nice lawn or garden like hedge mazes um uh, ah, so we can yeah. we can take uh architectural horror all the way back to theseus and the labyrinth then oh yeah exactly very much so and um it's it's what i thought of what what is really important is obviously it's a unique place and there's it is built with intention it is not nature it is not chaotic uh, it is not random. It is built with purpose and, um, there's sort of subtypes of it. And, uh, that's the sort of thing is that there is this sort of premeditation, this intentionality that separates it from say, there's a big monster out in the woods or there's a maniac running around. Like that's more chaotic or a demon possesses a girl for some reason. Like, um, and within this, and, and so the horror wouldn't work if the place wasn't unique and involved in some way. So like there, okay. there's, yeah. So th in general, I think there's three sort of subtypes of architectural horror, or like maybe there's three ways of looking at it. One is a, a place built with good or normal intentions, but was corrupted by evil. And the most archetypal thing is like the haunted house, like uh sure. poltergeist, the shining, it, you know, the poltergeist, it was, it's a house, it's a home. It's supposed to be good and safe and comforting and nurturing and uh, a place to raise a family and it has been corrupted because it was built on an indian burial ground bringing up you know, just you know, like folklore. everything else in america yeah. yeah 
Uh, or The Shiny, which was meant as, you know, resort, a place to have fun. But uh, not only was it built uh, on an Indian burial ground, I think that's in, I can't remember if that's just a theory or if that's actually in the text. But it's also like a place corrupted by the activities of the decadent rich, right? Yes. Um, and that, and so then like. a psychically this... sensitive child gets isolated there with his, uh, like, mm-hmm. alcoholic father whose mind is crumbling day by day. And like, mm-hmm. uh add salt to taste like but yeah. it wouldn't work anywhere else um, right and in the shining the film version like kubrick does a lot of things to make you the architecture of the place impossible to hint sinner yeah at its sinister intentions um and so like good intentions corrupted uh the second category would be a place built with literal evil intentions so uh the most obvious thing that comes to mind to me is actually the saw film franchises those sure. are very architectural horror because they're literally these elaborate death traps to torture or test people depending on the you know yeah. if it's jigsaw or one of his apprentices uh, or whatever yeah one of uh, my top shelf examples that i was hoping to add but of hmm. course you already have on the list uh that fits into this category is dark city oh yeah um, um, like the, I don't really want to spoil it. Like people should watch that movie. It's really mm-hmm. fucking good. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like you find out that the environment that you're in is all on purpose and it fucking sucks for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Another one would be the cube film series. Uh, but cube is also falls into sort of a, a third category, which is a place built by inhuman hands or with unknown intentions. Uh, yeah. And sort of the fear of this is going into Cosmic Horror is like, this is not random. Like, it's a place, but it who built it and for why? And not knowing why is the horror. Yeah, like, we, we yeah. as humans have such a small perspective that it may as well be random because we cannot possibly comprehend the, the design or the purpose. Um, yeah, exactly. And this is House of Leaves, right? Like, we never yeah. find out why uh the Navidson house is so like has this space in it but it's right it's not like a natural event like it can't be like you can't like have a labyrinth no. like that or like in a, a lot of Lovecraftian stuff like Mountains of Madness uh or Cube because it's like they technically figure it out and explain how the cubes are but it feels like cosmic horror right like how the fucking humans build defense contractors build this fucking cube yeah, death the, maze the- yeah the explanation always felt a little limp like i guess maybe like but (laughs) but like that doesn't make you feel better about it Mm -hmm. so those are the kind of like things you're you're thinking about with architectural horror so it's it has to so in order to be architectural horror has to be like a unique place uh, the film the story the game whatever wouldn't work if it was anywhere else and so Uh, i i also want to add here um or like submit for your approval, the auction of the horror itself must be intrinsically linked to the uniqueness or the purpose of the built Mm -hmm. environment. Uh, Because otherwise, uh, I don't know how you would uh, define the edge between architectural horror and contained horror. Uh, Because there's plenty of things where it's just like, it's a contained environment and you're, you're, you're stuck there with the thing that's scary. And like, it matters a lot. The physical uh, properties of your environment, uh, like the descent, for example, or any Mm -hmm. number of siege movies. Well, Uh, the descent is a natural environment, right? Right. Right. So like, that's, uh, yeah. So that, that's not built, but like, uh, any number of, uh, siege movies, right? Like, uh, assault on precinct 13, Mm -hmm. um, 
uh god I, there's so many uh just the movie siege mm-hmm. um lots of zombie um media like you end up in the uh yeah. situation where you're stuck in an environment okay. and uh, locked doors are very important barricades yeah, yeah, are yeah, important yeah. like where you can make sound and where things will be heard is important uh the the first of the feast movies is like this okay um yeah. but like that's just horror that is in a place and the physical parameters of the place are important okay but the horror yeah. itself is not working through the intent and the design of the environment. It's just that it turns out that the design of the environment is mega important to the character's survival. Um, okay. So this that, is a distinction that I would think yeah. might be important. Yeah. Because like I, I can see an example right here uh, is the difference between night of the living dead and dawn of the dead. So night of the living dead could happen. Like, could you put it this in another place? Any isolated building would work any, like it's an isolated farmhouse. But Dawn of the Dead only works at a shopping mall, right? Like, yes, that is a uh, perfect, uh, yeah, perfect uh, description there. Because um, I mean, it drives a plot too. Because in Dawn of the Dead, the it is uh, not just the zombies, but the bikers trying to fight their way in. They wouldn't be fighting so hard if it was a random farmhouse, right? Like, right, the, and the like the mall course, has like, all the, the stuff that they want. And part yeah. of the whole thesis is that the reason all those zombies are there is because. That's all that's left is their basic yeah. capitalist consumer instinct. Like that was actually at the core of these people. Once you strip, uh, it's in the text. The they literally yeah. speculate about it in the in the movie. Like, like the, oh yeah, it's important. The, the mall is just where people go. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. Perfect. Uh, so to interrogate this premise further, mm-hmm. um, one of the best haunted house movies of all time, of course, is Alien, mm. and uh. I don't know if it's architectural horror or not because well, it's obviously like a haunted house. And I think most haunted house things are architectural horror. Uh, Cause obviously yeah. both. No, I think, I think I'm coming around to it. I think alien is in a way architectural horror because first off you do have the derelict, which is your third example, a place built by inhuman hands for yep. unknown purposes. Mm-hmm. And that's like, they get into it. They don't know what it is. And that's why the problem happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we move into a human-built environment with normal intentions. Uh, good. I don't know. It's pretty capitalistic. But, uh, you know, the Nostromo is just a mining vessel full of truckers. Uh, but then you get this predatory entity in there. And it turns out the environment that was built for uh, capitalistic efficiency is, like, the perfect place for this thing to be able to hide anywhere. Mm-hmm. And constantly sneak up on people and be as much of a menace as possible. Well, it's also specifically uh, a mining ship, right? It's not. It's a. It's a commercial ship. It's not designed. It's not. It was not built to contain alien specimens and experiment on them. No. Um. And that's sort of the problem. Um. And and that's the horror is we brought in this cosmic thing we don't understand, and it totally subverts our uh arc the architecture of the ship and it's our ship is not equipped to deal with this. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say alien is definitely our And you can even stretch it to aliens uh mm-hmm. in that you then have environments actually built by the aliens and their secretions uh where they they cocoon up huge parts of the colony. Uh and I don't know if like a ticking clock that has to do with architectural concerns counts as architectural horror, but like you have the nuclear reactor running the Hadley's hope colony, uh, meaning that the Marines are not safe using all of their weapons properly. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. and then, and then of course you also end up actually doing the ticking clock. We're like, Oh, we're going to have a meltdown if we don't go fix this and fuck there are aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, 
And that uh, actually that kind of ties into the folk horror thing too. It's a failed settlement. It's a failed colony. Yes, it is. And it's a western too, right? Like it's yeah. literally like wow. It's, yeah. it's all uh, aliens is just everything, I guess. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> it, aliens did it again. It's also an examination of motherhood. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a capital anti-capitalist critique. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, it's it's almost like that movie is good. It's really good. <laughs> uh, hot take here on our yeah, PBR. Yeah, very uh, hot aliens. Take. The first two good. alien films are quite good. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, and we'll talk more examples and stuff like that. But like, like this is a RPG podcast. So, like, what does architectural mean? Architectural horror mean for role playing games? A uh, dungeon. Dungeon. Yeah, exactly. Literally, what I was going to bring up because that is the <laughs> archetypal thing, right? Like, a dungeon crawl is a the first word yeah, in the the, uh, the, you big know, the most the most famous games title is a built environment that either was built for evil or has been taken over by a bunch of monsters mm-hmm. uh, that you have to slog your way through. Like, yeah. What, what could be more architectural horror than that? Yeah. And I think the, the problem is, uh, you know, well, uh, the problem with the common thing to do is that uh, GMs or people running games don't make the dungeon unique enough to really qualify for our architectural horror. It's just an assortment of rooms, kind of like, if you think about it, really like a flow chart of yeah. where the encounters are going to be and what order are the players going to encounter things. And uh, what I did for the night clerk is uh it's an infinite maze like you the premise of the scenario is you go to you can slot it in any modern horror rpg like the orpheus protocol where you go check in this this you know 2.5 out of five star on yelp uh rpg or uh, um hotel check in you know just to get a you know uh, uh, some sleep when you wake up Everything outside is all the windows are indestructible. All the doors are indestructible. They just show a black void outside. You can't get out and you have to figure out what's going on and weird things start happening. And I and so that I I don't map it out specifically because it's supposed to be infinite. And you can slot in mm-hmm. any kind of monster or encounter. You open up doors. They sh- start showing these pocket universes and I have examples of them, but you can obviously add in your own. And the and so you have to think of it like the thing about RPGs is they have game elements, but they also have story elements and you have to kind of merge them. And so if you want to do this, you have to make a unique environment. Obviously, the night clerk is uh, very much a cosmic horror thing. This place was built with intentionality. This is it, it mimics the appearance of the hotel you were in, but it starts changing. So there, there's some sort of purpose behind it. You don't know what it is. And that's what's scary about it. And you don't know why you're here. You don't know how you can get out if you can get out at all. And so like, that's the mystery. And so that's, um, what I, that, that was my approach with it. That was my overall, like, this is how it works on a very broad level. And that is, that is the game challenge. Can you get out? And, uh, that, that's sort of when I go there. So, um, yeah, that, uh, but, and so it's a dungeon, but it's not yeah. a dungeon that is mapped, uh, cause it's literally like, um, that reminds my, me, uh, yeah. that reminds me a bit of, and um, in a certain way, it reminds me of heart then where like, oh yeah, you, you have like conceptual travel or, or like poetic linkage of different environments rather than, uh, like a, a topography, mm-hmm. um, I guess actually heart would be a good role playing game to run architectural horror scenarios in come to think of it. 
Yeah, no, I did run a campaign in hard <laughs> like a year or two ago. And uh, that definitely oh. was influential. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, um, yeah, I and heart is. Um, yeah, it's supposed to be like the thing about heart is it's psychoactive, right? Like it's a it's a dungeon that reacts to your character's psyches and like mm-hmm. uh, uh, challenges and tortures you as you as you progress, especially in the weird. The further you go down, the the weirder it gets. Uh, but it's also unmapped too, right? Like it's it's just broad strokes. You basically oh, have uh, travel so segments. Yeah, Solaris. Yeah, well, Solaris is not horror though. Like no, it's, it, but yeah. like it, it, you can see how like just injecting a tiny strain of darkness into that. You like you take Solaris and you make it into horror, and you've basically got Silent Hill, mm-hmm. uh, which like also is something that you could do with heart for sure. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. But yeah, I guess so. That was my approach with the night clerk. Uh, so Rob, like, what kind of? You know, we talked about you. We mentioned the abandoned mall you did in Orpheus Protocol. Um, you know, which is very haunted by an evil spirit, which I don't want to spoil because yeah, know, listen to the Orpheus Protocol. Um, uh, I think for, it's good. <laughs> uh, what was the name of that? Uh, 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 Restoration was the Restoration, name of the arc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, the very first arc, which is like the the uh, prologue to the whole campaign taking place in 1969, The Shutter. Uh, again, I'm not going to spoil exactly how, but it's 100% an architectural horror scenario, uh, which which covers the first four episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's frankly, there's got to be others uh, over the like the, we're we're closing in on 300 episodes, if I'm not Dang. mistaken. So like quite a few. Uh, Let's see the Orpheus Protocol. Yeah, yeah. We uh, the most recent episode is two eighty two. So and it's all one campaign, uh, and I promise it's not boring. Like it's actually good the whole way through. Holy shit! Nice. Uh, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of the challenge with architectural horror is um, like figuring out what is going to be unique about your place, and then how is it scary? And how is it going to be a game? Right. Like mm-hmm. how uh, um, and this is why like and haunted houses are tight in some ways can be a dungeon crawl, but they're different. Right. But like um, I guess like how what is your approach when when thinking of like, you know, you don't have to use the abandoned mall uh, restoration uh, if you want. But like in general, how would you approach this uh, from a very broad level? Like, well, uh, uh, honestly, the first thing. Uh, to make use of architectural horror in a role-playing game is very much to, like, decide on what axis or, like, intersection of axes of your types of architectural horror are going mm-hmm. to be. Uh, like, that's a really good place to start. Uh, is this a place that is a normal place that got fucked up? Is this a fucked up place? Or is this a place that is fucked up. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like, do you have something that's like, uh, where the evil has moved in? Mm-hmm. Is the evil part of the design or is the design so alien that like, it's impossible or, or maybe perhaps worthless mm-hmm. to try to assess whether the place is good or evil. It's just weird and you don't want to be there. Um, that's usually where I start. Um, yeah. And amusingly, uh, in one of the patron uh, in one of the patron campaigns that I'm running uh, last night uh, of all times, we started a scenario that is architectural horror, where um, 
let's see, to avoid spoilers, uh, a group of operatives is sent in to effectively, like, tag and bag all the uh, occult objects and things of ritual importance at a site where a uh, cult basically got the doors kicked in and <laughs> murdered by, by Orpheus. Because uh, the people you send in to kick in doors are not necessarily the people who know how to, like, do the proper chemical disposal <laughs> of all the bad shit on site, right? And so they mm-hmm. sent in this, like, cleanup team to figure out what was going on with this place and make sure that everything is squared away and there are no ticking time bombs there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, you know, I've been, I've been sprinkling in some good architectural horror stuff. Like, for example, the first thing people figured out was that uh, a fireplace in the great room of, of this place, like, has to be fake because its chimney would go right up through the stairs to the second floor and they, you know, they look in the flue and it, it goes straight up all the way. And like that can't. Oh happen. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, that means that something is wrong with this fireplace or something is wrong with the stairs or, or something mm-hmm. is working on their minds. And like, they're, they're trying to figure that out right now. Um, and, uh, the place that we left off the cliffhanger for the session was, the group all moved together because they were getting paranoid uh, to one of the side wings of this large uh, house. And when they went through the door, three of them found themselves without the other two. And those other two are alone with one another uh, in the same room, but they're completely separate from each other. Uh, and now they're going to have to figure out how that happened and, and like how to manipulate that uh, so that they can get back together again and retrieve the people who are lost. Um, yeah. And, and, and the whole the whole house is is built with the secret of how these uh, parallel versions of itself uh, interact with one another and how to manipulate that. Like it's there, but the players of course don't know yet. And they're going to be in a lot of danger as they try to figure it out before it's too late. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's, uh, a really great example of what I, what I think is the second step. So yeah, the first step is figuring out what, what the type of place is. Right. But then for role-playing games, you have the, the second step is figuring out what's the lever the player's use to interact it's games are interactive they the players do things to the the setting right like mm-hmm. and the challenge is architecture is about a place places usually don't have agency in the way characters do right um Which is literally- supposed to one of the reasons that the haunted house subgenre here is one of the most popular right because really they- all that does is it just like you just solve that question and then you're done. It's like you have an environment and now we are going to put a malicious intention in. Yeah. It. Like we are basically so, injecting an evil agency into a house and, and wham, bam. And, and you don't need agency. Like characters can be, you know, literally their, their story archetypes of like man versus nature, right? Like that are just like environmental things, but it's about like uh, traps and hazards and puzzles and that kind of thing. 
And uh, so you have to figure out like in which how the players interact with the architectural horror and what is the game about it. And in your case, it's like a mystery. It's an investigation. It's solving, mm-hmm. trying to rationalize and un- understand how the properties of this place and what they can do about it and what is its danger. Um, and in some ways, like your example reminds me of the movie The Shining, where at the very beginning, um, we see Jack Nicholson walk through the hotel and you see a shot of like the, you know, this hallway showing the elevators and then he turns the corner and he goes into this place where the office is. But like, if you think about the layout of this building, that the, what they showed us would indicate that the office is in the elevator shaft. Mm-hmm. So, and it has an ex window at the back. So like it's an in- interior room, but it has a window to the outside. So like, uh, already, you know, Kubrick and of is course, fucking with it's, us, so yeah. it's fucking yeah. so classic the way um, that that movie does not draw attention to those things. Mm-hmm. It just puts them everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and- but but does not zoom in on them, doesn't do a music sting, doesn't do like a, a shot reverse shot of the character reacting to the impossibility. Like the carrots just the character is just inhabit the impossibility uh heedless and yeah, we the viewers can sort of pick up on it but they consciously yeah. pick up on like there's just something not right here uh and i would think that probably no human has ever uh figured all those things out on their first viewing of the movie mm-hmm. yeah and that's the thing about a game is you, you, you can't take these things for granted and you can't like assume that the players aren't going to pick up on things or interact with it. Like if they're doing the shining as a snare, maybe the p- person playing Jack was like, wait a minute, how the fuck can this office be? You know? Right. And, and then, uh, they, you, you kind of have to go from there. So you have to figure out what your what, how, what the levers the players have access to in which to interact with this, this scary thing. And, uh, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Uh, and so like for the night clerk, I actually, you know, I wanted to write something that was compatible with any modern horror setting. I didn't want to, you know, like slot it into just Delta green or just world of darkness or anything like that. So I just basically came up with my own mechanics for it. And I use what I call clue points and clue points are basically whenever you explore or interact with the hotel, the maze, um, the labyrinth that you're trapped in, you get points, you get clue points, and then you spend them to either sort of get closer to figuring out how to escape. Or if you get it, they're like unnatural artifacts and there's also scary monsters. You could spend those clue points to understand, suddenly figure out what the scary monster does or mm-hmm. like what your weird, you know, uh, uh, thing that you just found that it seems to be indestructible uh, can do. So, um, my, the, the broad metric is you have to keep exploring. You have to keep moving on. You can't just barricade yourself and be safe because one thing you'll run out of food and water. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, but for anyone wanting to do architectural horror, you need to think about like broadly what it is. And it doesn't have to be like puzzles and mystery and investigation. It doesn't have to be dungeon crawling, tactical combat. Uh, you could do social things too. For example, like one, great example of architectural horror is uh the novel and the movie high rise um and uh, which is written you know the novel's written by jd ballard uh, i forgot who directed the movie version but has um what's his face the guy who plays loki uh as the the main dude and it's uh and about this high-rise building that is an arcology essentially like 
which was a very 70s idea. And in arcology, the idea is you can have an entire city in one building under one roof. You, oh, you, it's uh, it's Ben Wheatley. Uh, yeah, the guy who uh, directed a field in England. And oh Kill- yeah, yeah, and Kill, yeah, Kill us, yeah, a lot of folk horror. So <laughs> a lot of overlap these days. Yeah. Uh, um, but an arcology is meant to be like uh, you, they have food there, they have movie theaters, they have gym there. They never leave, and so in high rise, ever no one people just stop leaving the building, and they start turning on each other and forming weird little tribes. And uh, that's actually kind of a classic trope: is the dungeon crawl with like multiple hostile factions, right? So if you make it scary enough, you're dealing with these people trapped in like a prison-like environment, right? Like where they they everything's in this contained ecosystem of fucked upness <laughs> and you yeah. like try to deal with all of the people there. Yeah. Um, uh, something that struck me as you were speaking there, um, the idea that like, well, you can't just barricade yourself in one place because mm-hmm. you'll run out of food and water. Um, this is not an essential element of architectural horror, but I think a very powerful one potentially. Um, built environments are in effect virtual reality right like we exist as part of nature living Mm -hmm. in nature and we think about needing food and water and something to mend our wounds with if we are out in the wilderness like if you're on a backpacking trip on like a hard trail you think about all these things you need to survive Mm mm-hmm one of the main things that civilization has going for it is that we don't have to constantly be under those survival stresses. We live in a virtual reality where so many of our needs are met by systems that work without us or like without uh, an input by us that we can understand the full uh, context of its alienation. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we don't think about like, oh, what if there's no water? Or like, mm-hmm. what if there's no food? Like, we we have built lives generally as humans where many of us don't have to spend our energy thinking and worrying about that day to day. And an element of architectural horror is like, that can betray you. Like, you can be in the environment that is supposed to be safe and is supposed to be easy. And all of a sudden, oh, no, I'm just in a wilderness again. It's a wilderness that has walls, but it's mm-hmm. doing the same thing to me that the wilderness was doing to like the monkeys back in the day, um, which I think is uh, in many ways a way that architectural horror can do the return of the repressed, except we're repressing all the way back to like evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, a really good point. And I think that kind of leads into liminal horror, which is very popular right now. And liminal. Um, if you're not familiar with the term, liminal means trans transition. Uh, and in architecture, liminal places are places you are supposed to transition from one area to another and not pay attention to. So, like, you'll find these in shopping malls. Uh, like, when you go out of the shopping mall, like, main area and into the bathrooms, right? The little hallway right. that leads you to the bathroom is just this blank hallway. Or many, yeah. many, like, utility rooms and, like, mm-hmm. hallways and passages meant to be used by, uh, like, maintenance staff. Yeah. So like uh, there's an entire creepy underside of the Disney parks that is used just by people who work there to like very quickly move from one place to another and like address different concerns and things that need to be looked after. 
And the idea like architecture is supposed to like guide us to do whatever its purpose is, you know, like stores and like uh, are supposed to guide you to the places where you get find the things you oh, want to oh, buy. Oh, right. Casinos, but like uh, yeah. don't have clocks or outside windows. Mm-hmm. So you can't feel irresponsible about how long you're spending there. Um, and, and lose like, track of time. Yeah. And, and you'll often uh, I don't know if this is still legal or not, but they would often pump. um a higher oxygen uh, concentration into the air uh, in in casinos to give like a low level euphoric feeling to people. Um, Like I'm not, that sounds like something that shouldn't be legal, but who fucking knows? Yeah. Who fucking knows? Uh, Uh, I mean, obviously what's even worse is all the free drinks, which they're still going to do. So whatever. But uh, yeah, the, the the architecture is built to, uh, manipulate uh, mm-hmm. and, and and sort of just like filter the human behavior that occurs within. And in liminal horror, it's a built environment, but it's so, it seems to be procedurally generated and infinite and there's no food and water, right? Like the biggest example of that is the back rooms, which is just endless. They look like conference rooms or mm-hmm. like uh, storage rooms. They have terrible fluorescent lighting that buzzes. Uh, wallpaper and you're just wandering and wandering around and again it, it seems built but not like the the there's no all the architecture is asymmetrical and randomized it seems like like a like a roguelite but you're wandering through mm-hmm. it and there's almost always like a monster uh lurking somewhere there's an environment that's confusing that you can't just leave mm-hmm. and something bad is there yeah ta-da yeah, exactly. Yeah, it goes back to the very ancient. Yeah, uh, being in the labyrinth with the Minotaur, and and the scary thing about this is like this seems to be built, but like who built this? How could anyone build this, and why? And you're just trapped in there. You have no food and water, so you starve to death, or you're killed by the monster. Um, and yeah, that's scary. And so the thing about the the back rooms, though, is like, well, what's the game? Like, there has to be something. Right. Otherwise, we're just going to wander around bored until we starve to death or, or die of thirst. Um, and yeah, and and that's the chat, and so that's why they had the monster, right? But then, like, hmm. then it's not really liminal. It's just like it's a scary monster chasing me through this weird place. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's tough, but um, the thing about like what you want to do and what what the what the game what the game mechanics are going to be at, like what the what are the players actually going to be doing, and then yeah. like I, how I think, a I unique place. Like, yeah, I yeah. think something like backrooms uh, can live and die by vibes, uh, mm-hmm. but like that works fine for a video series. But if you're playing a game, there needs to be like games imply a level of interactivity. I think. Yeah. Um, there's been a whole debate, and there's there's a whole backrooms like fandom and. Uh, liminal horror fandom and like th- there's a big debate about like people adding to the lore like there's fucking fan wikis where people add like oh there's all these different factions fighting for control over it and they colonize and there's different levels you can get to and like and i assume that yeah. other people are mad about those ideas that oh sounds, yeah, yeah 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 that yeah. sounds uh fucking exhausting yeah um it's very much like the scp like uh the scp foundation sure. fandom which has like chaos army trying to fight the scp and blah 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 and all this other stuff so uh i'm just like whatever it's fine uh but yeah like 
architecture war is really cool and if you're even and you could do it in any kind of you could do a fantasy architecture war you could do sci-fi you could do modern uh whatever setting you want you could do a scary place and a unique scary place just think about like what is the game actually going to be about like what are the players doing so um you could do one where it's just like a slice of life thing like uh there's a really good novel called horror store which uh there's no yeah yeah it's so funny and then it's not like Mm -hmm. because once you get deep into it like the actual sort of uh the way that they personalize the antagonism of the place is actually fucking awful like Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah very very good uh uh that's grady hendrix isn't it i think so yeah um yes it is i'm not surprised uh he has a very nice uh way of making horror with very present and amusing comedy elements in it that then sort of lull you into a false sense of security and then something really fucking awful happens. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's pretty good. So yeah, at horror story, like they're, they're literally like, uh, wage employees, you know, minimum wage employees at an Ikea knockoff type store. And then like after hours, it becomes like a fucking haunted hell, escape place that is bad and so you could do a game that's like about like i work at this shitty place and then blah bad things happen there's literally like an unknown armies campaign framework about working at a um big box store that sells weird artifacts like occasionally they just show up like um and there are people working the store just to find certain weird artifacts um and yeah you could do that like that that's uh, an idea but um yeah you could do any kind of gameplay type in architecture or you just have to think about the place why it's unique why it's fucked up and why it can't be anywhere else and and sort of go from there Grave Encounters is a found footage horror film series. There's two movies in it, um, and they both are excellent examples of architectural horror because it's uh, a film crew going to an abandoned insane asylum to, you know, shoot a ghost hunting show. And um, but they it's show a wonderful satire of like, yeah. you know, the the broy uh, like ghost hunting sci-fi like channel yeah, yeah basic cable like uh, yeah uh bargain basement kind of ghost hunting shows but um yeah obviously it's haunted there's evil ghosts but like a lot of what they do is the corridors change on characters and the environment itself becomes uh an antagonist uh it's not like they're being chased by a single scary ghost that that mm-hmm. you know stabs them or possesses them it's like the place uh, actually starts going back in time to a degree, like the experiments are being recreated uh, that were done on the original patients. And um, there's a really cool bit in the second film, I think, where they think they escape, but then they don't. Uh, spoilers for that film series, but, uh, you know, they've been out for like 10 years. So um, y- there's a more recent movie called The Night House, uh, which is from 2020. Yeah, uh, that was a very interesting one. Mm-hmm. Really cool visual uh, effects to depict a haunted house. Uh, a woman's uh, uh, her husband kills himself and she's, you know, devastated by it. And then the spirit of the husband, you know, starts manifesting in these really odd and specific ways. Or is out- it the husband? Yeah. Yeah. Or is she just going crazy? Yeah. Um, so uh, those are some good examples. Uh, we already talked about some others, but um, there's the classic uh, novel Haunting of ha- Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Uh, classic ha- for a reason. Uh, read it. Read it, please. Yeah. 
A house built without right angles. So that's just, it's just kind of a, it's just messed up. It's just a messed up place. Um, And like as competent as the filming and acting and whatnot were in the Netflix Haunting of Hill House series, for fuck's sake, read the book because they, (laughs) they took the entire like tone and, and like completely inverted it for the ending. uh, And it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have a, a, a list of some of these elements. Uh, let's see. I know as below as above. So below is a found footage horror film, uh, that was actually shot in the Parisian catacombs. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And guess what? A place that was built to inter millions of dead people over centuries. Uh, you can do some messed up things in it. Um, so if you want to talk about return of the repressed, like, uh, <laughs> the, the French, like almost no one have anything on the French except for possibly the British. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were, doing, col- yeah. they were doing colonialism through the eighties. Oh no. <laughs> like, I mean, they're still doing colonialism. Technically. I mean, like, well, the I mean, like they Europe, were doing uh, old school colonialism until much later than anybody else. That's like, true. Yeah. Yeah. But- like the debt payments African countries oh, have sure. to make you know, to France and up. like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're, they're, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, uh, Candyman is actually, I think an example of architectural horror because, uh, it takes place in public housing projects, uh, that were, you know, built to, um, you know, help, well, ostensibly help African-American. Yeah, it really depends on who you ask. Like, yeah, right. Well, they, like, that, was that's it, what was their it, stated Was it like uh, built with good intentions, uh, but like misguided or was it always malicious? Like, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. And uh, certainly what happened, you know, uh, they, they, they may have been built, but they were built cheaply or also they were never maintained and, you know, abandoned. And so obviously these communities suffered. Ob- obviously yeah. there's like there's quite a like socioeconomic and like a crime element mm-hmm. to like taking all the most desperate people and warehousing them in one spot. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's an element of folk horror, too, because it's like a failed community, right? Like it's a failed uh, uh, and it's about the urban legend of the, the candy. And man. it's also about yeah. slavery. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. you're really, you're really tagging all the bases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Candyman, like literally the protagonist has to like navigate this maze of uh, these the like in one section. She has to like crawl through holes in the wall in order to figure out what's going on. And uh, yeah, so. Uh, and, and Candyman himself is a you know supernatural creature that comes through the mirror of your house, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> subverting the architecture of your own home. Um, and yeah, that's so another I think, one. Watch yeah, yeah. the original, please. Like the 2021 or 2022 one, like was kind of fun or whatever. But like they sort of made the Candyman into a social justice superhero. Uh, hmm. yeah, I haven't it, seen the new it, one. Yeah, I didn't like the tone it landed on. Like I, I think it was. I think that movie was made with good intentions and was largely good. But like, again, it just kind of there's a lot of these like remakes or or reboots or whatever that sort of like really soften the horror in the mm-hmm. end. And I don't like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's. uh yeah, I mean, the thing is you can only ever make any given, like, movie or novel or whatever in the time in which it was made, right? You can never remake an original, like, uh, because you're you're it's a different time. Like, it's different people. We have different uh, culture. Cha- society has changed. Um, and, yeah, you can't, you know, lightning can't hit twice, basically. It's very, yeah. very rare. Um, 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is obviously an incomplete list, but it's it's to give you uh, as a GM, like if you're doing a dungeon, if you want to make a dungeon, make something unique about the dungeon, you know. And uh, you know, I think in fantasy, a lot of dungeons are always meant to be either like type two or type three, like they're they're e- evil places that became worse. Or, you know, or their cosmic horror, you know, or a de- or inhuman, like a god or powerful right. being made a dungeon. Like, or frankly, seldom- like, this is yeah. this is the wizard's tower. The wizard died. No one knows what any of this shit is for, and it's really dangerous. You yeah, know? basically. And But, like, there's seldom, like, places that were built with good intentions that became bad in fantasy. Like, um, at least in terms of the RPG scenarios that I read, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, less common, I would say. Yeah. Less common. So think about that as an idea and then think about like, yeah. Th- so think about like, yeah, that element. And then think about like how the players interact with it. And there's, you could do any kind of game play in an architectural horror game. You just have to think about it. Like, again, like I said, you make it social, just have messed up people in there, you know, and that players have to navigate with those, uh, those social challenges, uh, especially with factional wars. You can go very Yojimbo like, or uh, red nail, basically the mm-hmm. Conan story. Ah, oh, red uh, nails is great. Yeah. Uh, red nails. That's right. It's not red nail. Um, but yeah, red nails. Uh, that's the classic thing is turning one faction of a dungeon against another faction. Uh, that's the social one. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, you could do like Bluebeard's Bride. The, the the storytelling game is a very like a psychoactive thing a building that reacts to the character's secret desires yeah. and fears. Um, and it's kind yeah. of like everyone is John, except everyone is Jane and Jane is trapped in like a hell house. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It's pretty it's pretty good. And Jane's not going to have a good ending. Uh, no, Jane's not yeah. having a good time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, something I just throw in here. Uh, mm-hmm. Audrey's door is a novel by Sarah Langan. Uh, it's super good. Uh, architectural horror. It's like one of my favorite um, semi-recent horror novels. Uh, and it, it definitely features like an apartment building as a like it, as a hostile environment, maybe even a hostile entity. Um, and I think both that it's really good and that like anyone who has enjoyed archive 81 owes it to themselves to read this book because archive 81. Let's just say it's like an incredible coincidence. If archive 81 didn't heavily borrow from this book. (laughs) Well, yeah, uh, Uh, that's, that's what I'll say. Like, I, I don't know for sure, but like the timing is pretty suspicious and like, uh, this this book was optioned to be turned into a TV series, uh, and weirdly, it just kind of didn't. And then there was Archive eighty one, and then there was an Archive eighty one TV series on Netflix. And like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of similarities. Interesting. Um, um it's not as blatant as uh, the Tannis podcast and um, Jeff Vandermeer's Area X trilogy, because mm. um, that shit's ridiculously blatant like i'll i'll just say it like that's pretty much a ripoff <laughs> like uh like that jeff Vandermeer's books are are the real story and uh <laughs> the tannis podcast is just kind of like riding its coattails but uh audrey's door is amazing and actually the first season of archive 81 is a really good architectural horror story uh, as is the netflix series i think it's actually really well made sure yeah 
um yeah you could and obviously like uh delta green's night floors uh and a lot of carcosa impossible landscapes uh, bleeds into that as well yes uh, listen but... to impossible landscapes on <laughs> role-playing public radio yeah uh it's very good um yeah uh we, we yeah uh we just got to episode nine which has a a special guest star if you haven't listened already oh um, is that the hospital it is the hospital hell episode. yeah i had so much fun with that yeah it was very good um, but yeah, I hope, uh, uh, if you are intrigued by these ideas, obviously check out my zine, the night clerk, uh, it'll have, uh, it's a whole, you know, 40 pages, 44 pages of, uh, architectural horror goodness. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, let us know in the comments or on the RPPR discord or on social media, uh, what you think. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, yeah, by the way, I'm on blue sky, uh, on the new social media platform. So, uh, check me out there. And I assume Rob is there too. I'll try and yes. put in little, yeah. Uh, yes, I am. I mean, I'm still on Twitter for fucking whatever that's worth. Yeah. Uh, but I am looking forward to blue sky getting opened up to the public so that it can be the public square because mm-hmm. Twitter's obviously dying, but there's just not enough people on blue sky yet Yeah. Uh, to really promote stuff there. Yeah, there's uh, still I think they're still like getting the the infrastructure in place. Cause... Yeah, I mean the, the the feed is just a bunch of fucking replies. It sucks. Uh yeah. it, but it but it sucks in a way that isn't like actively enabling fascism, so it's mm-hmm. like I still do prefer it and I I assume they'll fix it at some point. Yeah, they're 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 working on Blue Sky is um yeah, it's it's I assume they're quite busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're doing their best. Like every time Twitter announces something that is going to be bad. Like blue sky gets swamped with new mm-hmm. signups. Yeah. And, their like, their signup server it. goes down. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we'll have our blue sky profiles up. If you join the RPR Patreon, if I get new blue sky invite codes, I'll put them on there so people can sign up. But uh, other people are posting their invite codes on there as well. But anyways, um, yeah, please check out the Patreon or the, the, the backer kit campaign for the night clerk. Uh, but before we go, we, we we do have a couple of shout outs, so we'll be right uh, back. And we're back with some shout outs. Uh, I would like to first go with uh, my the game I just got uh, recently and I haven't been it yet, but I quite Love it, and it is Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. Uh, if you love Jet Set Radio, you will love this game. This is a spiritual sequel, uh, successor to Jet Set Radio. It even has Radio. the same cadence in the title. So, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the same people, the same composer, uh, Hidakai. I can't remember his name. Uh, anyway, same style of music, and it's really fucking good. They uh, have a lot of quality of life improvements, like you can now yeah, you have unlimited spray paint. Yes. Uh, you have unlimited spray paint now. Uh, you have a double jump. Uh, you can get a skateboard uh, or, or a bike as well as uh, your little uh, uh, roller blades. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just fun. It's it's a fun, optimistic game. You can beat up cops and spray paint them in their face and spray paint graffiti. Improve you're the best crew. In now New you Amsterdam. can also do that in real life, but we're not recommending it. Yeah, well, you don't have a double jump in real life, which is yeah, really key true. to getting away from the cops. Um, that would be very helpful. That's true. Uh, so, yeah, it's a really fun game. I really like it. Uh, check it out. Um, and I'll mention one other game uh, before uh, Rob, because I want to mention this. Uh, Bolt Gun. I played it. It's the it's a retro shooter 
uh, slash boomer shooter, whatever you want to call it, uh, for Warhammer 40k, you play a ultramarine stern guard, you know, uh, veteran dude who is on a planet full of chaos cultists and monsters, and you gotta you gotta just kill them all, and it's a very good. Shooter. This sounds yeah. fake, but I heard in this game there is a dedicated button where you express your contempt. Mm-hmm. There is. Okay. It's yeah, totally pretty, useless. But that's you, pretty you, good. Yeah. Uh, it has retro pixelated graphics. Your standard starting weapon, the bolt gun, is actually really good. It's very uh, a solid weapon throughout the entire main game. Uh, you have really good mute movement, too. Like, Space Marines, they're superhuman. They should move and jump fast, and your guy yeah, definitely it's, does. It's. Yeah. I think that's an aesthetically very good choice that, like, no, you're an ultramarine. Like you, you don't have bad starting equipment. Like you, you kick ass from the yeah. very start. Like yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's it moves like a Quake One type game, not like Doom. Like you, you can jump. You, you have full 3D movement. Mm. Um, and yeah, no, it's just super fun. It's just, it's just you shoot the cultists and they explode in blood, and it's like yay, that 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 pleases me. Um, so yeah if you if you like those kind of games uh bolt gun is excellent um you've been playing a game recently uh i sure have uh remnant 2 uh god damn like i haven't well i've i've beaten it on like uh difficulties that aren't the top difficulty i'm still working through apocalypse but like i think it may be the best soulsborne type game made not by from like Uh, i'm not sure but it definitely belongs in the conversation i quite liked the first one but it was a bit limited the amount of scope added to this second game is absolutely nuts the depth of builds the variety of environments and enemies uh and challenges there's some fucking excellent puzzles in this game like it just it many times playing through this i got the feeling of like this mid-budget game they didn't have to go this hard, and they did. Um, so, I yeah, I, I highly recommend it, especially if you have a friend or two to play it with. The co-op's fucking fantastic. Um, I guess the elevator pitch is that, like, it's Dark Souls character progression in terms of making your build and upgrading your equipment and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. the combat is a lot like Destiny 2. Hmm. Uh, so, like, it's... If that sounds good to you, you should definitely try it, because uh, it to me, it combines those elements really well. Yeah, Kale's been playing it too, and he he really likes it as well. But you know, I had to get my uh, bomb rush cyberpunk out there, so uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When, when, when I have it on my wish list. When it, well, when we're it goes both out, we're both yeah. being fucking hipsters because we're not playing uh, Baldur's Gate. So oh yeah. We can- we can we can smell our farts together here uh, about that. I, I mean, Baldur's Gate is like at this point in my life, I'm like, oh god, that's gonna take me so far. Like I beat Tears of the Kingdom, and I was like, thank right. god. Like I loved it. Tears of the Kingdom was great. They they really nailed the ending, which they didn't do with Breath of the Wild. They they did the ending like fight like and uh, the actual ending beautifully. So much better than Breath of the Wild. Game of the year for me easily. But like. Oh my god! I cannot afford to sink that many hours into a game all the time. So like, yeah, Baldur's well, Gate three, just like, oh my god, that's gonna take fucking forever to get through. Yeah, yeah, uh, it'll take me forever with my limited gaming schedule. But uh, yeah, I'm also waiting to hear from more like uh, video game people. I want to hear from D and D virgins, like what 
this game is like before I decide to play it or not. Because like the fact that it well simulates a game that I fucking despise is not mm-hmm. actually a selling point to me. Like, oh, it's like fifth edition D&D. It's like, oh, good. So you roll a die and that's the only fucking thing that matters. <laughs> that's... Well, you can save scum. So you could just keep reloading until well, you get the die. But that's not very fun to me. So All right, yeah, uh, um... like, I want to I see what video game people who don't give a shit about tabletop role-playing games think of the game a little bit I, it's gotten pretty good reviews so yeah that uh, that's eh, yeah. i may play it like based on the strength of that but not not yet no remnant yeah. 2 check it out you know it's a it's a mid-tier game it could probably actually benefit from your support and it's really goddamn good yeah nice um the other game i want to mention is uh slayers x uh terminal aftermath vengeance of the slayer uh, so this is a spinoff game, uh, from Hypnospace Outlaw, uh, from the same developers. And it is also a boomer shooter retro video game. Uh, but it's the, also like a highway pileup of titles. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because, all right. So the character, uh, of Zane is a character in, in high Hypnospace, uh, Outlaw as like this early two thousands, like teenager who's really into cool stuff and he's really badass. And so, um, the idea of this game is that as an adult, he now got somebody to help him make the, his high school notebook of ideas into an actual video game. And so it's one of these bleed throughs of like a very immature, like juggalo type kind of like young late teens, early 20s person. Uh, but also and he can't distinguish between his real life and like the fiction that he is writing. So like he's like this X Slayer fighting the psycho syndicate, but that's led by his stepdad or like the person, the guy oh who's dating god. his mom. And, oh my god! <laughs> like his friends are the other X Slayers, and like oh, the, he has to you know oh, it's this sounds so delightful. It's it's very fun. Like the actual gameplay is fine. Uh, but it has this kind of like Duke Nukem 3D kind of vibe to it in terms of its video aesthetic. And uh, yeah, it, it's just very charming. The, Zane is this like very uh, gormless kind of like just dude who's just like really into things, very enthusiastic again. Like, um, so have you got what it takes to be an X-Slayer? Seven weapons, blood and gore, twisted music by seepage and psycho syndicate and math where you can blow up everything. It's awesome. I started making it in 1998 in high school with my friend and now I'm 37. So I have life experiences now. Like that's oh my the Steam God. description. It, yeah. Fuck, this is my favorite game and I haven't played it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's extremely... Oh. It's extremely fun and dumb and like the the base gameplay is fine and like yeah no it's just a charming little thing like uh they're like little jump Easter in and make cringe angels Yeah exactly um the uh there's little he- easter eggs and hints of like the guy he got conned into being a programmer someone he went to high school with and he left this little easter egg in one of the levels like god damn it never promise your friend you'll help him make a video game because he'll bring it up 15 years later i have a family now god damn it can't keep wasting my time on this shit you know like it's (laughs) it's just fun um and yeah i i quite i was quite jarred by it um there's a couple of frustrating segments toward the end with some jumping puzzles but like nothing big uh then yeah it's it's on game pass if you have game pass um that's how i played it um and uh yeah i think it's only like uh what is it uh yeah it's only 20 bucks uh yeah 17 bucks yeah 
Um, I also want to mention, uh, finally, uh, not a game, but a YouTube channel, Bad Movie Bible. Uh, it's uh, a guy who wrote a book called The Bad Movie Bible, but he does these occasional YouTube video essays about like knockoffs in a particular genre uh, or very, very particular type. So he actually did one on alien knockoff movies. There's a whole like, Italian knockoffs. Get, very... get, I assume he talks about asylum stuff, too, then. No, more recent, like more more older ones, like Italian oh, ones, okay. uh, and then like Abyss knockoffs, uh, like Leviathan and Deep Star Six, and like movies like that, and just yeah, it gets into it, like what made these movies, what how he defines them, and like, um, it's just really fun. Like it's just like oh my god, there's so many bad movies I wasn't even aware of, and yeah. there were so the did another one on Die Hard knockoffs, which is fun. So yeah, it's just a good like plumbing through. Like if you're if you like bad movies and watching them, it's good to want these things to get like recommendations of like, like what defunct to land for trash cinema. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the vibe. Um, and yeah, it's just neat. It's just neat, like <laughs> architectural horror. It's just the thing I like. I so it's neat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, again, check out the Nightclub Zine uh, backer kit campaign. Uh, I'll be running for a month, and there's a lot of cool. Uh, you can get it in PDF or print, or you know. Um, and uh, yeah, that that's who knows? Pretty, maybe yeah. maybe some really smart, cool, attractive agender person might be running that in the orpheus <laughs> protocol sometime. oh my that god. might be a thing that happened oh i don't know just in here. <laughs> yeah uh so yeah that's something to check out um and uh we'll be we'll be uh, uh we have your room uh reserved at the sleep easy end uh we'll nice. check in anytime uh we'll talk to you later bye